feel like I need to do a hip-hop dance after that video, but I won't be doing that today. I'll give you the tip. Um, so, yes, my name's Annalisa Collo, and it is a privilege to be sharing with you today. And if I could have my first slide up. You see, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. <laughs> yes, Dopey on the left is my dad, and he is, uh, yeah, incredible man. And, of course, Goofy... On your left is my mum and because I have the microphone, I'm sure we could say insert name here, but Robin is my mum and it's, oh, she's not in the room at the moment because she's changing my son's nappy. Woohoo! <laughs> Best Mother's Day present ever. Um, but yeah, happy Mother's Day to my mum. She's incredible as there are many incredible mums in the room. Um, but she just knows how to run to the throne room whenever there's a problem. She's been the most amazing example. If I could be half... The, the mum, my mum is, um, I'm doing all right. So, yes, I'm also a mum, as Charles said, I'm speaking today because I am a mum, and if the next slide could be put up, there's my family. Um, yeah, so cute, uh, butter wouldn't melt. But anyway, my husband is Kane. He's actually not here today because he's doing night shift, but I actually, because I said you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family, but I did actually choose him. But I was questioning my choice about a month ago. Um, we were in the throes of newborn land, so he was sleep deprived, I think. But we bought one of those pancake shake, shake and mix things. And literally, what do you do? You fill it up with water, and you shake it. So there's two instructions. He filled it up with water, and I heard, oh no, from the kitchen, because he'd actually forgotten to shake it. So I, I was questioning my choice, but he does work for Qantas. Heaven help anyone who's flying in the next month. Um, no, but he's a good man. He really does take his job seriously. If he can't put together a pancake mix, I'm sure he can fix your 737s. Um, next slide. There is my, that's why I'm a mum. This is, this is the reason they are. Yeah, beautiful. But I don't know whether anyone else has a two-year-old, but I don't know what it is. I'm calling it like some kind of like selective paralysis of, a, of the two-year-old variety. You'd be walking along and all of a sudden his legs will go on him and I'm literally dragging my two-year-old through the shopping centre, normally past the play equipment. That's when it happens. Um, and the worst time is when it all goes and he's on the floor like so. And he can feel the paralysis because he's saying, no, 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 trying to will his legs to move. And then it gets so bad and he gives up completely and it's full prostrate on the floor. So there's selective paralysis. If there's a cure for it, I'd like to know. And then there's my, new, my newborn Georgia, who's eight weeks now. And um, yeah, she's, she's all right at the moment. So <laughs> thank you, Jesus. Anyway. So, leading into it, the title of my message today is Love the Genes You're In. As human beings, we are very complex characters. In fact, we all contain a thing called DNA, which is a hereditary material found within the nucleus of almost all of the cells within the human body. Now, if you think about yourself just for a minute and then look at the people around you, it's immediately evident that you do not look like the person you're sitting next to. There is not one person on this earth who is an exact replica of you. More than just your physical characteristics, no one thinks or acts, present or past, like you do. So when the gene pool of your father, who is a unique and individual combination, came together with the gene pool of your mother, who also is a unique uh, combination, 
This together, they made and formed a combination that could never be replicated because there's a selection pool of two very unique, unique individuals formed who you are today. And even if you have siblings, there may be similarities, but the pairing and a bit of this and a bit of that that came together to create you is a completely unique combination. And because of your uniqueness, God has set aside certain plans that only you can fulfil and a purpose just as individual as you are. To confirm this thought, Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And so if we truly claim this verse in Jeremiah as our own, and we declare it and accept it as God's assurance and his promise, his word of encouragement, then those plans don't just begin tomorrow or someday in the future or the day you came to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. These plans also included how you came to be on the earth in the first place. The very parents that would be required to create the exact combination that formed you. Furthermore, Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born. So there was a time, and it was called before. And in that time, God was thinking about you and forming you in his heart and then scouting the earth to find the very people needed to bring together to form your genes. The genes required in the gene pool that would make the combination of your DNA. In fact, because God knows the plans both past and those of your future, he knows all about your life, what issues you'll face, the people you would and will come into contact with, the life that you would and will encounter, he had to find the perfect genetic makeup to give you the exact tools and capabilities that you will need to take into every circumstance, every walk, every opportunity and to affect your world during your entire lifespan. You know, I focused mostly so far on the flesh and blood of our genetic makeup, but now let's focus on the DNA that God is most concerned with. And it comes from Psalm 139.13. Grab a quick drink. It's a little hot up here. Shouldn't have worn cashmere. Anyway. And then you'll see me shaking. <laughs> okay. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. The message says, oh yes, you shaped me first inside then out. Your inmost being. Your inmost being. What a profound statement. You know, we can change our physical appearance. We can pull, pluck, enlarge, reduce, dye, tweeze to alter the outside. But God is not concerned with our physical appearance. It is our inmost being where his focus dominates. In fact, remember when Samuel was looking for a replacement for Saul. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, in the message, says, Looks aren't everything. Don't be impressed with his looks and his stature 
And here he was referring to Eliab, who Samuel thought was to be the next king. The word says, I've already eliminated him. God judges persons differently than humans do. Men and women look at the face. God looks into the heart. And of course, as we know, David was not chosen because of his looks. He was chosen because of his heart. And this is what we too should aspire to, having a heart ingrained with the DNA of Jesus Christ, choosing to love over hate, selflessness over selfishness, grace over judgment, and then protecting and preserving this DNA, this spiritual DNA, to pass on to the next generation. You know, not necessarily to our biological children, but having that spirit of a mother and a father, we have the capacity to reach and, and foster and nurture the next generation. Now let's look, take a quick look at an example of this very thing. The heart of a mother whose spiritual DNA as well as her physical DNA was transferred to her son. I have three points. My first point is the plan, trust. Now, Jochebed was living in Egypt at the time she gave birth to Moses. The picture of Egypt was not a pretty one. At this point in history, we find the children of Israel, God's chosen people, living in extreme fear and oppression under the rule of an Egyptian pharaoh. You know, they were enslaved, whipped, beaten and mocked by the Egyptians. On the social scene, they were on the bottom rung. But as much as Pharaoh tried to control and suppress the Israelites, the rate of population growth threatened his very regime. So to control this, Pharaoh passed a law and said all, every Hebrew boy needed to be killed, but not the daughters. So this is the political and social climate that Hebrew woman Jochebed was living under. To avoid this fate, we all know the story, uh, she came up with a plan that I'm sure was laid on her heart by God because we looked at earlier, Jeremiah 29 said, I know the plans I have for you. So this plan was placed on her heart. Now, whenever I read the stories of heroes and heroines in the Bible, I try to picture and put myself in the situation. And as a mother, I think this plan is truly the most ridiculous plan I've ever thought of, would ever think of. Because the number of elements that could go wrong in my head far outweigh the positives of the plan. You see, I think of drowning. I think of crocodiles. I think of the threat of someone other than Pharaoh's daughter finding the baby. What if the basket leaked? What if a gust of wind came along and swept the basket downstream? Water is such an unpredictable element. So of all the places, this plan would have been my least choice. But this is the plan that Jochebed stuck to and she exercised her spiritual DNA of trust placing her faith firmly in the hands of God that this plan would work. Point two, the purpose, selflessness. Here is a mother who acted selflessly and gave up her son to protect his life in order for him to fulfill the purpose that God also had for him. Now, if we compare Jochebed's story with the story of her son Moses, we can see how the spiritual DNA of trust and selflessness was apparent in his life as well. You know, biologically, we can understand that these two are linked. 
but they also had a spiritual connectedness above their physical genetics alone. You see, like Jochebed, Moses trusted God. He trusted God implicitly. He, he just always checked in with God. He listened to the voice of God for every move, for every decision, and in every moment. And because Moses, because he trusted in God so much, Moses entered into this unimaginable life, this growth, and this understanding of God the Father, God the Creator. I mean, it just, that's what propelled him into this season of his life. He, he remains incomparable today, his story. I mean, he was buried by God himself. I mean, it's just phenomenal the life that Moses led because of Jochebed standing firm in her trust in God. Secondly, he too, like Jochebed, acted selflessly. You know, he gave up a life of entitlement, of power, all to answer God's calling to save the children of Israel. That was his purpose you know, he was raised as a grandson of Pharaoh, a Hebrew boy in an Egyptian house. I mean, the privilege, I mean, I'm watching Downton Abbey at the moment, just that privilege alone, like, what rocks my world. But, you know, this is, the, this is the, the Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, and he was in his house. You know, a life of honour and privilege. But he made the decision to defend a Hebrew man, to kill the Egyptian, and therefore drew the line in the sand and turned back on his lifestyle to follow God's purpose for his life. And all this occurred because one woman first showed trust and faith in her God and acted selflessly. She would not know that by doing this, the plan and purpose placed on her heart would lead to God's higher plan and purpose that her son would be the one to lead an entire population out of bondage, you know, out of slavery and into God's promised land. We mostly focus on the man that Moses was, but if it wasn't for one woman's original spiritual DNA, then who knows what the history books would now reflect. Now, as we know, God's word, his word contains significant parallels, and this story is no exception. There is no mistaking the perfect bookends of the life of this story. The beginning compared to the end of the life of Moses and how these key moments of Moses' life contained incredible similarities. Point three, the purpose at a distance. Ultimately, when Jochebed placed Moses in the basket and sent her daughter to lay him amongst the reeds on the Nile, Jochebed sacrificed her own desires a mother's heart in order to see him protected. Even though she was his nurse, she had to watch him at a distance, watch him interact with, cared for as a son in another family and call the Pharaoh's daughter mother. And I know as a, as a mother, when I heard Thomas say mummy for the first time, it's, it's something about an in, you know, it's the word I most hear in the day. Mummy, mummy, mummy. All different intonations, but mummy. To, to have him call someone else mother, it just would rip your heart out. Here is a mother who gave up her child to see the promise fulfilled. A scenario that is just unimaginable. But by placing God at the centre of the decision led to a much bigger plan, purpose and promise for Moses to carry out. 
Yet get this, this very same scenario was to also be experienced by Moses as he was dying. The heartache, the handing over and the watching at a distance. Because in Deuteronomy 3, 23 to 27 says, At that same time, I begged God, God, my master, you let me in on the beginnings. You let me see your greatness. You let me see your might. What God in heaven or earth can do anything like what you've done? Please let me in also on the endings. Let me cross the river and see the good land over the Jordan, the lush hills, the Lebanon mountains. But God was still angry with me because of you. He wouldn't listen, he said. Enough of that. Not another word from you on this. Climb to the top of Mount Pisgah and look around. Look west, north, south and east. Take in the land with your own eyes. Take a good look because you're not going to cross this Jordan. You know, as his mother before who experienced heartbreak, here too Moses is having to deal with a similar heartbreak. The heartbreak contained in the words, I begged God and in the NIV says I pleaded with God and as a you know that's that's the heart that's the heartache there he saw at a distance all the promised land knowing that he would never set foot in it that the promise would be fulfilled by God and under someone else's care namely Joshua the people he led he ministered to he fathered on earth guided by a father in heaven, was to be raised in a land full of promise without him. You know, the spiritual DNA shared by and transferred from Jochebed to Moses helped both of them to endure one of the greatest trials of their lives. Through their incredible trust in God and selfless acts, whereby putting God first in the biggest decisions of their lives, They emerged as incredible examples and proof that God's plans and purposes are always better than our own. You know, we have all been equipped with a certain biological genetic makeup. Thank goodness I didn't inherit my Italian nose from my nose from my Italian father. But we it'll take us through any circumstance or situation that life will throw our way. And as we enter into these moments with our physical genetics, we also need to take the spiritual genetics that God has equipped us with to encounter and change the atmosphere. You know, seeing firsthand how critical it is from the life of Jochebed passing on a spiritual DNA to encounter any challenge. But the challenge for us all today is to consider what spiritual legacy or DNA are you passing on And what are you doing to preserve and teach the next generation of followers eagerly looking for the next Moses for a Red Sea moment or a wilderness walk? You know, let's not say, I wish I looked like this or I wish I could do that or I wish I was like that person or this person. Don't wish away your DNA. Love who you have been created to be from the unique genetic mix of your parents and accept that the plan that started before you were born was part of a divine plan, purposed and made perfect by God himself. So embrace the challenges, exercise great spiritual DNA 
and use what you can to showcase your genes to the world. Love the genes you're in. Amen. Wasn't that great? Awesome. Our next speaker, Anne Smith, she's going to come up. I have to say that she has four exceptional young boys, which I'm sure she'll talk about in a minute. But you can judge a person by the fruit of their parenting, and you have four champions. So you must be an awesome mum. So let's give Anne a hand. Thanks. I agree I have four champions. Sometimes I question whether I'm an awesome mom. It could just be God's gift to me. So I don't know if you were able to pull up a photo because I kind of slipped it to the media guys. Oh, there we go. Pretty pixelated, but I actually let my boys pick the photo because I would have obviously put all the cute photos up of their little bare bums when they were babies and all those kind of photos for you to see. But I couldn't do it to them because the majority are teenagers now. So I let them pick the family photo. We, we did this photo. We're quite proud of it. Last Christmas, I was like, hey, we should do a family photo to post online for Christmas. So my oldest son set up his camera, and we quickly kept jumping into poses. And this is what we came out with. So it's not bad for a DIY job. So these are my men. These are my men. My oldest son is Ethan. He's 18, just turned 18 last weekend, actually. Woo. And in one weekend, it's like they go from you know, child to adult. They have an 18th. He got his license on Monday. He passed, which is good. He, um, he has a car, thank the Lord. <laughs> and so he's already doing, you know, um, school runs and work pickups. It's wonderful, actually. And then my second-born son is Flynn. He's 15, turning 16 this year. I have Oliver, who is 13, turning 14 soon. And my baby is Riley, who's 7, and our fur baby, Bear. Who, who God created just for our family and is the best dog that ever was and has ever lived. <laughs> but I couldn't bring him here today. Um, so this is my family. And, you know, uh, we came to this church, Uni Hill Church, last August. And we have uh, adopted you, and we hope you will adopt us as our church family. I have known um, Pastor Nick and Meredith for a few years, um, in fact, a few years ago, the last Bible college paper I ever submitted was for my leadership class, and I interviewed Pastor Nick on leadership, and then I knew you have a great leader, <laughs> yeah, so, um, and I got a good mark for it because he's a good leader, <laughs> um, and we are just getting to know Charles in April, but their, Charles especially, his reputation preceded him because my boys actually knew him already and spoke very highly of him, and last year, we found ourselves needing a church family and needing to come to a new church, and I asked the boys, where would you like to go and settle in? They just kind of said, oh, no brainer, let's start with Uni Hill Church. And if we don't, you know, if we don't, if it doesn't sit with us, we can look around. We had never church shopped in our life. Um, and, and so we came here and we haven't left. And that was last August. <laughs> so we're in. You're our family. So I'm introducing my family to you because we're one big happy family now, right? So I want to talk a bit. Annalie, can I just say, I don't know where she's gone. What a profound word, hey? What a preacher. I was almost thinking, can we just leave it there so we can all sit on that and, and digest that a bit? But um, I'm more just going to share a testimony with you, and I hope it will do nothing other than point you to Jesus. And I know that Mother's Day isn't, an, isn't a, a celebration day for everyone. I'm very aware of that. For some women, 
they dread Mother's Day. Perhaps it's their relationship with their mother. Perhaps it's, uh, it's um, a child they haven't had yet. I mean, there's so many reasons that Mother's Day can be a hard day. And I hope that through my story, it just, it just points you to Jesus in whatever season you're in. That's all I'm going to seek to do this morning. So I want to talk about labels. When I was 22, I became a mother. I was awarded a new label at the age of 22. It wasn't a planned pregnancy, and that's another story for another time. And I actually was, was arrested by how much love I felt for that baby. I don't think I'd ever experienced that kind of love before. It, it actually really, it was a moment in my life where I thought, I cannot believe how much love I feel right now. I didn't expect it. I didn't see it coming. I sound thirsty, obviously. Thanks. <laughs> um, and... Um, and at that point, I wasn't walking with the Lord. I had grown up in the knowledge of the Lord, and my mother introduced me to the Lord, and I gave my life to the Lord when I was 11. But at that point, I had walked, walked far from his path. And that overwhelming love of becoming a mother made me start to think and reflect on how much God loved me as my father. And I honestly, I just wept at how badly I treated him as his child, to be honest. I'm just going to be really real here. That I had just walked so far away and had just used that grace and that relationship so flippantly that he used the birth of my firstborn son to draw me home. And so it was a real moment in my life. And I, and I, I have told my kids that story lots, you know. And um, I remember when Ethan was in, in lower high school and needed to write a biography, I said, like, you need to write in there that, you were born for a purpose because it drew me home back to the Father. And so I begin to really fiercely study God's word again and come, come back in a big way to God. And in terms of that feeling of, how do I, I don't, I don't often feel like I can take care of myself. I don't adult well. I say that a lot. I don't, ad, I forget to feed myself a lot. I hate domestic duties, but I do them. My house is clean, you know. And I started to think, how am I going to raise another person? It's one thing, this was my thought process at the young age of 22. It's one thing to screw up your own life. It's really another to be responsible for someone else's. So I didn't know where to go. So I was new to Australia. I was a new mom. So I went to church. That's where I went. I went to church and I looked for answers there and I found them. And I found the church community has always been a very good support in my life. Um, and so I had people give me tools on how I did the Homes of Honor course. I did. I, I had all those tools put in my hand on how to parent. And I'm still not, not the, like the most perfect parent. No one is. Only God is. And so um, on and on I went with the journey and had another child and another child and another child. And there you go. I had four boys. And I remember before my, um, my last son, Riley, was born, I had, just, I had three boys in a span of four years. And it was a very busy season, but I really, actually, I really enjoyed it. And, you know, it was tiring, and it's not perfect, and it's not all roses, but I, I really did enjoy being a mom. And I remember desiring strongly a fourth child, if you can believe it, three boys. But I did. I really felt like this is not it. This is not it. And, and it took years of sort of prayer. And at one point, I just re relinquished it to God and thought, well, maybe it's not meant to be. And I remember having a conversation with God that went something like, could you give me a daughter? Because at that point, I was youth pastoring, and I was um, running conferences for girls. And I said, you know, could you give me a daughter now to experience that? Could, could I raise up a, a daughter of my own, not just keep pouring into teenage girls. And I don't 
say this flippantly, I don't use the words God spoke to me flippantly, but I felt very impressed upon my heart <laughs> that God's saying, I, I will not give you natural daughters. You will only have sons. And I felt God was saying that to me because I felt he was saying, because the world needs godly men. There are godly men needed in the world, and I have entrusted you with the task to mother them. And I felt like, wow, wow. But I remember him also saying, I'll give you lots of spiritual daughters. Do well with that, and I have. And there's a couple even sitting who have ended up in this church that I see right now, a couple of young women that were spiritual daughters in my life who are mothers themselves now. So that makes me like a spiritual grandmother, and that's cool. And I love their children now. And that's a cool journey in the family of God. So mothering doesn't always come in natural forms. So be encouraged by that if it hasn't come in a natural form for you. There are ways we mother in the family of God that that can blow your mind, really. And so I thought, wow, the world needs godly men. How do I raise that? How do I do that? What does that look like? And I became a student of my children. I started to examine them, examine what makes them tick, look at their personalities, look at each one of their uniqueness, and try and parent to that, not, not just oh, well, this is my parenting style, but parent to each child's uniqueness as God loves us uniquely. And then we hit a season nearly two years ago that the five of us didn't see coming and we were not prepared for. And um, I, I, I guess, I'm trying to say this carefully, I guess from one day to the next, I was uh, a married woman raising my children with a husband and the next day I was a single mom and my husband had left our family. And it was such a moment in my life because you know how we have formulas and plans? We do that as humans. We think, well, this is my formula, so it should all work out. I'm now walking with God, and I'm being a student of my children, and I've read all the books, and I did the Homes of Honor course. <laughs> and, I, and we were leading marriage connections. It should just all work out. But when it doesn't, where does that take you? And I know all families have gathering places. When I grew up, ours was the kitchen because my mom was a great cook, loved to cook. So we all get, in my home, we all gather on my bed. My bed is just awesome. It's just the best thing ever. It's king size. It's one of those pillow top mattresses. We call it the marshmallow. It feels like heaven when you climb into it. <laughs> and for some reason, that's where we gather. So when stuff happens, things hit, we open birthday presents, everything is on my bed. Everything happens on my bed. And... Um, so when this storm hit, I remember we just gathered on my bed, and it was raw, and we were crying, and one of the boys said to me, well, now what? Like, what now, Mom? What now? And um, I said to them, I think this is one of those moments where we need to decide that we either believe everything the Bible says and everything Jesus did for us and everything I've taught others as a pastor or we don't. So do we? I said, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. I said, okay. Then, <laughs> this might sound a little harsh. It's okay, we can take a couple weeks off church, but then we need to get back into. Because we had a hurting church as well. We need to show, we need to show our church that life is messy and life happens. But God's love is consistent and faithful and good. And in every season... It's unwavering, that he never changes, though things around us change. And I, I said to the boys, can we do that? Can you do that? There's a church that needs us, and I know we're in a lot of pain, but I do believe, and church, I do believe that the local church can go through painful seasons together. 
I honestly do believe we can be honest about our pain, honest about our mess, honest about every season we're in, and continue to love one another out of his love for us. And so I guess my only testimony is that we're not a perfect family. <laughs> I um, now wear a label I wouldn't have invited into my world of single mom. And I remember the first time, about 18 months ago, somebody said that to me. I burst into tears because that had never occurred to me that that's what I was. But can I tell you that I actually don't wear that label much. I don't call myself that. I don't feel like a single mom because I feel like God is with me. And, and I remember once somebody saying to me, also about 18 months ago, you're mother and father now. And I thought, I have no idea how to be a father. I'm not taking that on board. It's the truth. I have no idea how to father. So I just decided I'm not taking that on. I know how to mother. I know how to be their mother. God can be their father. I can still point them to the perfect father. I can still show them they have a father who never leaves, who never forsakes, who will never let them down. And I can pray for good, godly men to come into their world and mentor them. And that's what I've chosen to do. And so if I've learned anything, and I can encourage any of you going through any kind of storms or seasons, this is what I've learned. You need community. We're not meant to isolate ourselves. We need community. We need each other, church. We need to be real with each other, open with each other. We need to pray for one another. My boys need you. I'm inviting you into my family. We've adopted you, and I'm asking you to adopt us. <laughs> I'm asking you to adopt my boys. The men of this church, I'm asking you to stand up and be good, godly men in their world, to take an interest in them, to speak wisdom into them. I'm, I'm giving you permission to do that as their mother because that's what they need, and they need to see the church cares. And may I say they have. I'm not saying that because they haven't seen that. So don't do it alone. Whatever you're going through, don't do it alone. Invite others in. Be vulnerable. It's okay to say, I'm, I have a messy life right now. <laughs> I have a messy season right now. And you know what? And then, of course, don't shut out God. Don't harden your heart. Don't let bitterness take a seed. Don't let hate take a seed. Just don't. One thing I know that I know that I know is that God is good, and he's faithful, and he is so loving if you'll let him in. And you can release fear to him. And you can release anger to him. And you can, you can invite Jesus into the mess. And if his life had told, like, while he walked on earth showed us anything, that so he's good in the mess. He's good with the mess. He likes messy people. <laughs> he loves messy people. Invite him into the mess. I'm losing my train of thought. <laughs> Sorry, bear with me. <laughs> um, and, and choose carefully the labels you, you pick. Because we can choose labels that say victim or abandoned or rejected. Or we can choose labels that say child of God, loved, holy, completely loved. <laughs> we can choose labels where we say, I have to look perfect in public, doesn't matter, I have to look, or we can say, keeping it real, just keeping it real, because along the way I just decided, there's just no way my life was meant to be lived to point people to me, <laughs> believe me, nobody wants that, 
I choose to live my life to point others to Jesus. So if I stand here today to say anything, and I'm just going to wrap it up and keep it short, this is what I've learned. Being a mom of boys is a label I'm happy to wear. It also means my house is not perfect looking. It can be quite messy. That Nerf bullets and, <laughs> and um, bay blades and now those stupid fidget spinners, they find their way everywhere. No matter how much you clean, they are under couches, in corners, especially Nerf bullets. They show up in the weirdest places. I found that you don't need to live in a forest. They'll find trees somewhere in your neighborhood and build something in them. I learned that there's no point in getting in the middle of boys when they're wrestling. You will get hurt. They will not stop for you. I've learned that I love little boy kisses because they're really sweet. Do you know one of my sons told me once when he was little that I could be a bridesmaid in his wedding and he was fine if I, could, if I wore my wedding dress. <laughs> he's older now and I remind him of that and he's like, no, that doesn't stand anymore. <laughs> little boys are sweet, but so are big boys. It just hurts your ribs when they hug you because they don't know their own strength. Big boy hugs are good too. I've learned that boys smell. They really smell. I don't know what that is, no matter how much you air out the room. <laughs> when does that stop? Can someone tell me? And that mostly they're messy, but they're amazing. And I have learned from my own Heavenly Father that the world needs godly men. Men that, boys that um, are safe to express emotion in their households, that feel safe. So when they do get emotional, we don't, we, we kind of have, I don't like to call them family rules, but family agreements. We don't laugh at one another's emotions. They need to feel that emotions are safe in their family, in their home, to express. We validate each other's pain. We recognize that we're all on our own journey of healing, and so we support each other whatever stage each of us is at. And I want to raise men for your daughters. <laughs> men who know how to love women, Men who know how to do their own laundry, and they do. <laughs> but men who love God the most, want to obey God, want to follow in his path because their relationship with him is genuine and real for themselves. That's really my goal as a mother. And then the rest is up to them and God. <laughs> so thank you for inviting us in. Thank you for loving us as you have so far, church. We are, we are really thrilled to be in this church and be family with you. This is my season, this is my motherhood story, and I give all the glory to God that we are standing here today filled with joy of the Lord. He's our strength. Thanks Angie and thanks Annalee. Hey, just as we wrap up this morning, um, Pastor Nick did ask me to make sure that I tell you he's at Box Hill this morning and he's inducting Cliff and Marie as the campus pastors there and he wanted me to make sure I uh, sent his greetings to you this morning. Look, um, Annalise spoken this morning about what is written in us, um, how God has written in us uh, and planned and purposed and Angie's then gone on and talked about, um, she's touched on the mother heart which, uh, and, and the mother heart of God is what I call it. Angie already just mentioned that not everybody who is a mother has children. And there are many reasons for that. Um, but the mother heart, of, the mother heart what, what we would traditionally look at as being characteristics of mother, are care and compassion, a nurture 
and comfort. They're the inspiring of courage and confidence. Angie's talked about some of these things. They, the mother heart of God is a place where you go for peace and rest. A mother is someone who orders your steps. All of these characteristics, they come from God himself. When God created us, he created us in his image. We call God Father, but he is, um, has a mother heart as well. This morning, I'm very, I'm very understanding of the fact of the folks that find Mother's Day difficult. You know, your kids grow up and they leave home. This morning, where are my kids? My kids are, two of them are in South Australia. Uh, one of them's here in Victoria, but I, I won't be seeing any of them today. Um, I have my mother still. Uh, she's an hour flight away and then another three and a half hours in a car away to visit. You know, distance can be a tyranny for some mothers on Mother's Day. It's not so bad for me. I will talk to them all on the telephone later this afternoon. But some folks, it's not distance that's a tyranny, it's the breaking down of relationship. I know no less than five mothers whose daughters particularly, something has gone on in their relationship that the daughters have made a decision that they will no longer have anything to do with their mother at all. They will not speak to them. They will not let these mothers see their, their grandchildren. It, one of the situations is very close to me in my family and it breaks my heart. Every time I hear about it, I just, I just it breaks my heart. I have distance. I can, I can overcome distance in today's technology, but these mothers, they can't overcome it because there's hardness of heart, there's unforgiveness, anger and bitterness. And that breaks, that breaks God's heart and it breaks my heart. And I know it breaks these mothers' hearts. There are, others mothers, uh, there are other mothers and children. The relationship has been lost through death. Either the mother, your mother has passed on, there'll be people here today that may be in this situation. Your mother has passed on. Or maybe your child has passed on prematurely. And it's hard. It's hard. Then there are, the, there are women who have never had a child. Maybe they are married and have wanted children, but it hasn't happened. Or maybe they have never found a husband or a father to be able to have a child with. And yet their heart yearns for children. Their heart. They have the mother heart but they haven't had a child. I feel for those this morning who've lost children through miscarriage. They've so wanted a child and the child has come, but it hasn't stayed. They haven't been able to bring it forth to birth. And the loss and the grief there. And I'm a little bit tentative to say this one, but I'm going to say it and bear with me. I feel this morning... See that? that? That's the mother heart of God, you see. I feel this morning there's, there may be some people here in this community or might not, but maybe you know somebody like this. Um, women who, for whatever reason, the circumstance they became pregnant and the circumstance was such, the choice they made was to terminate a pregnancy. And like when you lose a child through miscarriage, that thing doesn't necessarily go away the hurt and the pain of that. 
So this morning as we close, I know it's a bit maudlin because, you know, here we are to celebrate mothers and grandmothers and aunts and sisters and carers. And we do celebrate, we do honour. But you know, I would say, and I'm going to ask in a minute, if you are in one of those situations or you know somebody who's in one of those situations where there is disappointment or grief, where there's anxiety or a feeling of loneliness, where your children are just not there anymore, where there's loss, where there's despair, where there's a crying of, Lord, when? If you know that's you or if you know of somebody that you know it's them, that's the people I want to pray for this morning. Is this Mother's Day? I want to remind folks, um, there are some scriptures, maybe Dale will throw them up on the screen, but... One of them in Isaiah says, As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. And in Psalm 27, the word says, Though my father and mother would forsake me, the Lord will receive me. This is the heart of God, which is the mother heart of God. In 1 Peter, it says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The Lord leads us by still waters and in green pastures and He comforts our soul. And this morning, I know there's some who are excited to be mothers and I know that you'll be excited to be spending time with your kids today. And I love that. That's great. But I know there's some who are really struggling and possibly some of those have actually stayed away today because it's too hard. But I want to pray for them anyway. So why don't we all stand? I want to pray this morning for peace to settle that heart of loss. I want to pray this morning for comfort. I want to pray for healing when there's been hurt. And more than anything, I want to pray for reconciliation of relationships. Those relationships that have broken down where mothers and children are separated. I want to pray for reconciliation. And if you know somebody in that situation or if that is your situation of any of the things that I've spoken of this morning, I just want you to to raise your hands towards God as we pray this morning. And I'll raise one hand for for all those folks that I know that I've been thinking of, um, the pain, the hurt, the brokenness. God, we come to you this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. We come to you because you are, Lord, you are our Father and our Mother. Father God, the love and the compassion, the care, the comfort that we would expect to find in the heart of a mother, we know that we find in you because you created us. And Lord, we bring these folks this morning, if it might be our own heart, but we certainly bring the hearts of others who are broken, who are distant, who are grieving, who are lonely, who are disappointed. Father God, we bring them to you in Jesus' name and we sincerely ask for your comfort and peace to surround these hearts. Father God, we sincerely ask for the power of your 
love and reconciliation to come into those broken relationships, to bring restoration of relationships. Lord, it's a miraculous thing that we're asking for this morning, but we ask it in Jesus' name because we believe that is your heart. And God, we join our hearts together in Jesus' name and give thanks to you because you are our God, our Father, and in this case, our Mother as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. Wasn't that powerful? We are a community. Pulled together because we love God. We serve Jesus. So we support one another. We encourage one another. We pray for one another. Do you know the example that we are to one another is what the world sees and what the world judges. So let's continue to pray for one another. Amen. Amen. God is good, isn't He? I have one special gift that I want to give all women today that are adults. It's from World Vision. It is a beautiful coffee table book. So why don't you guys take your seat just for a minute. Guys are going to come down. This is Vision of Hope, Mother and Child. It's an absolutely beautiful book. I'd like to thank Sam Grimshaw and the guys at World Vision for uh, giving us these books uh, to be able. Let's give him a hand and World Vision a hand. Praise God. There's enough for everyone. So just wait as the guys come around and then once that's done we'll sing this song and once you have your book if you'll stand and then go and have a great Mother's Day we do truly love you and thank you for coming just pray that you have a great Mother's Day and be blessed You are, you are. 